Hey, this is Kathleen. And when I'm not unfucking businesses here on the podcast, I'm unfucking real estate over at ysaintpete.com. My company is Sighty Realty, and we are excited to sponsor this episode. Oh, hey, I didn't see you there. This is Devin Rosillo from Beyond Bold, and you're listening to Unfuck My Business. No bullshit advice for business owners who want to be resilient as fuck. Sit back and enjoy the ride, because here are your hosts. Hey, everybody, it's Robin, and it is time for Ding Ding Ding, you guessed it, another one of our happy hour episodes. We are going to grab a drink, grab a snack, get a little bit silly. We've been recording all day. Our filters are off. Our brains are open. And we are ready to answer your questions. I am your designated driver today, Robin Sales. And with me, I'm going to ask each of them to say hello. The lineup, the roundup that we have for the happy hour today. So Kaplan, who is our secret weapon of the show. Kaplan is our producer. hey How's everyone doing? Awesome. And we have a new voice joining us for uh, the happy hour this time. Shay, say hello to everybody. How are you doing? <laughs> that was awesome. The infamous Jinx is on today's happy hour. Say hello. What's up on fuckers? Yeah. And last but certainly not least, the queen of real estate, Kathleen Seide. Say hello. Hello, hello, hello. (laughs) So we've got some interesting questions lined up to answer today. So everybody take a drink and get ready. I'm going to start with, have you ever regretted leaving a job? And I'll also expand that because not all of us work in traditional jobs, right? And some of us certainly don't work in traditional jobs anymore. So let's broaden the definition of job. Have you ever regretted walking away from a job or walking away from a project or walking away from something that you were working on where later you're like, oh man, I should have stayed or I should have left differently, right? So anybody ever regretted walking away from a job or a project? Well, I'm going to jump in um, sure. I, and say that one, I guess I'm going to be an outsider of this because I am one of those individuals that sticks with things <laughs> for the long haul. Uh, sometimes to a detriment, but there was an opportunity that I think I could have left a little bit better because the, the, the back side of it was, it's still growing. Granted, the 2020 kind of disrupted that opportunity, but I think now with you know, the retooling of it, it's even better than when it was when I was a part of it the first time. So that's one of those times where it's like, dang it, yeah, I, I would love to still be a part of it. So now, you know, they, they were impacted by COVID, but now they've come back bigger, better, stronger, faster. And you're like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Kathleen. I'll jump in here and say, I don't think I do. I don't regret leaving any job I've left. Um, and I feel pretty good about the circumstances. Like I was looking back uh, on the different times that that transition has happened and Literally every time I have been propelled in a better direction or ended up in a much better place. And I look back feeling like I was actually kind of stuck. So saying no and moving on was fantastic. And I think, you know, it's a lesson I've learned that I I don't need to wait as long as I used to to make a change. I like that. I like that. 
it's uh i think i think we learn from every situation even the ones that like uh, we knew it was necessary, but maybe it could have gone better. Or I like what you said about timing. I, I mean, certainly when I think back of some of my exits, which weren't always my choice. <laughs> I spent nine years in banking. I was the layoff queen. I got laid off seven times in that nine years in banking. <laughs> but but I don't regret any of those either because it, it also taught me a lot about being able to read the signs on the wall and the writing and and kind of know when that stuff was coming and and always know that like no matter what there's something better on the other side but as far as the ones where i chose to leave there's a couple where i i probably burned a bridge that i didn't need to burn <laughs> so i don't regret leaving but i probably could have done it with a little more grace and a little more consideration there was one bridge that I burned solidly to the ground that I have no regrets about at all. But in general, I really try not to do that. In general, I try to leave someplace better than before I got there. And so the couple of times where like I kind of screwed that up at the end, you know, if I get anything close to regret, it's that. It's like I and and a lot of it, Kathleen, comes down to what you're talking about. Like the only reason it got to that point where I did kind of screw it up at the end was because I waited. I should have left before I did. And then because I waited and because I was foolishly trying to make it work or waiting for something else to happen, that's when the sticky situations and the tiniest little regret slivers in. But otherwise, no. So I thought it was funny that you mentioned burning bridges a few times because I am the Horatius of former relationships. Um I know all these people like uh, uh, my wife is is like friends with many of her exes uh, that she had long term relationship with. I am not friends with an ex. I have never been friends with an ex. If they're an ex, it's because we burned that fucker down uh, and we're not going to be friends. That's just not going to fucking happen. So um, a lot of my former jobs, exactly the same way. When I left there, I left in a blaze of glory. How I left depended entirely on my relationship with management and whether it was good or not. Like there was one job I left at WebMD where like we left on really great terms and, and all the rest of that. But a hell of a lot of them, I was just like, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. You're cool, but fuck you, you know, and, and I was on the way out the door. If, if, if I've gotten to the end of a relationship, whatever that relationship is, such that I am terminating that relationship aggressively, generally it's not the kind of scenario where you're going to be friends afterwards. <laughs> I love that. You made me think of that old Mel Brooks movie, History of the World, where Madeline Kahn is like, no, 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 yes. <laughs> I can just imagine Jinx going, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. Yeah, you're cool. Fuck you, fuck you. <laughs> that reminded me of uh, Half-Baked. That That's it, Half-Baked, yeah. So, um... For me, I've learned not to burn bridges and to treat everyone I work with in a professional setting with respect, even the lowest person at the company. I've definitely done some things that I regret. As I've grown and matured, I've learned that the number one thing to do is to always act professional. I just think it's really important to make sure that you always treat people with respect, especially if you're on your way out. I've definitely burned bridges. Those burned bridges have come back to bite me. And now that I'm a little older and a little more experienced, I know that just can't burn bridges. You just, you got to continue to be professional, even 
if you mess up or you're going out for doing something incorrect or bad, you just got to keep a professional attitude. Yeah, Kathleen, I think you had something to add to that. Yeah, I just, I wanted to say that one way to bring a really good attitude into those exits is to look at and be grateful for the things that you did receive from working there and acknowledge that. No matter how long ago, no matter how minimal, if you can, in your own self, stop and say, thank you for these things. You don't have to voice it to the assholes or whatever you're leaving, the bad situation, or maybe it's great, right? You can voice it to yourself and you sit in that. And if you can acknowledge that and come from a place of gratitude for your experiences and for who it's made you and what it's taught you and what you can bring forward into your next adventure, that puts you in a so much better mindset for those transitions so that you can handle them with that poise that we all want to when we're exiting and moving to a new, the next phase, right? A hundred percent. And um, I think the bridges that we didn't intend to burn, hopefully we learned something from it. You know, like Kaplan said, like, you know, and especially in some of our industries or in some of our circles, you can't completely separate yourself from some of those individuals and so you have to leave it in a way that it is open to, to work with individuals again. One of my last corporate jobs, I left on really good terms and, and now they hire me still as an outside consultant, right? So I may not be full-time employed with them, but we still maintain a, a working relationship. And, you know, if I had been like, see y'all later, <laughs> um, you know, it probably wouldn't have afforded me the opportunities that I have. I wouldn't have done that. I love them, but, but you know what I mean? So, so let's continue on the job track for a moment here. I think we've all heard the phrase. We've all heard the phrase and some of us have had them, some of us haven't, but I love the concept of the work wife or the work husband. So let's talk about that for a little bit. Like, how do you feel about that phrasing, that terminology, work wife, work husband? Have you had one? And is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Has it caused problems? I just want to explore the concept of work wife and work husband. Anybody got a story to share around that? Just, I think it only works when you're single or should only work when you're single or you have a really like open relationship at home because otherwise that can get really complicated. You know, it's like, yes, I'm just going to, going to work, going to lunch with my husband, wait, oh no, my work husband or my work work wife. Uh, and that I've watched a few skits where that thing just goes kind of really, really wrong. <laughs> Kathleen, it looked like you had something. I do. It's always felt really cringy to me. I have a bunch of friends that use this phrase and I just hate it. Um, some of them are single, some of them are married and real, real for sure married. And it, it implies this level of intimacy that just doesn't exist. And so it just gets under my skin as this, like, in one way, it's a dis diminishment of the actual relationship of a husband or a wife. And then on the other hand, it's this, I don't know, it's almost a slap in the face to the relationship itself too. And, you know, you're, you're saying, okay, it's more than a friendship, but it's okay that it's a friendship or this is my best friend at work, right? The, the phrase work right, wife or work husband implies a certain level of intimacy that just, ugh, just makes me cringe. I don't like it. So I don't, I totally get that. And I think so much of the cringiness comes from the word wife and husband. 
because there's a certain amount of baggage that gets attached to those words and what they mean and what they should mean, et cetera. So, so as someone who had a work husband <laughs> who is still a really good friend of mine, I don't think if it, it, it wasn't into me so much as it, so much as it was partnership, right? So this person was my partner at work and supported me in similar ways to the way my actual husband is my partner in life and supports me through those things. So that phrase felt appropriate because I knew that that person, my buddy at the office had my back no matter what, you know, stood up for me no matter what, would champion my ideas no matter what, and vice versa. We looked out for each other. You know, we made time for each other when like shit was getting awful and you you needed that person that you knew that you could confide in without judgment to vent all that shit. I think it's, it's, maybe we just need to find another term for it that doesn't confuse the lines of intimacy and, and relationship and stuff. But, but it is more than just like, this is my buddy at work. We built a bond that continues. And, and I'm thankful for that. He personally has had some triumphs and some tragedies and, and to see him blossom and grow even beyond our work relationship. And he had some relationship troubles and now he's found the perfect person and he's really deeply happy. And, you know, if it was just my buddy at work, like I could care less. So you married again. Woohoo. Like, no, I'm so fucking happy that he's happy. And so, so I, I think it is something a little deeper than like typical work friendship. But I agree with you, Kathleen, that calling it that same name does create a cringe factor. I think Jinx had to pipe in here. Yep, go for it. It's gendered. I think that's my biggest hang up with it. It's gendered. I am the kind of person who has some very deep and intimate relationships with many of my friends. I don't find that to be the problem at all. What I do find to be the problem is that because it's gendered, it creates this sort of internal echo of something very specific that I don't think it necessarily intends to. You know, if I said my work boyfriend or my work husband, right, that automatically makes people stop and think about it for a second. Because work wife is an expectation, right? Oh, haha, this little funny thing. And it's this woman at work. And wait a second. And as soon as I say work husband, now all of a sudden that makes that problem really clear. Because now you start going, wait a second, what do you mean by work husband? Oh, wait, is Chris queer? And so, like, I, I don't know. I, I think that illustrates the problem with it. I, I or the problem that I have with it, not that nobody else should use it, but just that fact that it's gendered, it adds a, something to the phrase, which I think is probably often accurate, but is not really a good representation of what that relationship should be in a professional environment, perhaps. Yeah. yeah. What should we call it? <laughs> More than a buddy, but not your significant other. Like. I don't know. Best, it's interesting. Bestie? I don't think bestie's the no, right I word, don't. but it's along the, the line. I like partner. I like how you described it as this partner that really supports you. Like that encompasses it so much better, but it needs yeah. to be cute also. <laughs> so I think we open this one up to the UFMB community. And if you're out there listening to this episode, please let us know in the comments uh, in our Facebook group, write us at WTF at unfuckmybusiness.com and let us know what should we call this relationship that is uh, more than friendship, 
but should not be gendered and should not imply a married partnership. Interesting conversation. I also want to talk about, you know, we, we've talked about regretting leaving a business. And then sometimes, maybe not a regret, but we've certainly all had moments where we stuck our foot in our mouth <laughs> or stepped left when we meant to step right and caused ourselves some unintentional harm in our business. So for example, maybe it's a happy hour setting with folks that you're working with. Maybe it's the office holiday party. Maybe it's a social event and you had one too many drinks or let your filter down a little bit too far and you said something or you did something that lost you some business or lost you a relationship or you had to fight real hard to get back into that game again. So do you guys, can you share some examples of when you've stuck your foot in it or maybe sometimes that you've seen other people stick their foot in it because they forgot that the people that they were getting fun and social with were also people that they do business with. (laughs) And maybe they crossed the line a little too far. So which story should I tell? (laughs) (laughs) I was trying not to look at you directly, Jinx, but I know that you've got a couple of these, but I think the rest of us have some too. You know, I've... They've they've had to work, and by they, I mean all the people who are my business associates and, and friends in the business space. They've had to work really hard to house train me. Um, I I am not, I am prone to socially unacceptable behavior on a regular basis. Dirty jokes, you know, off-color commentary. The, the farther into the happy hour it gets, the more of that's going to come out, because fundamentally, that's my personality, and... You know, the whole thing about in vino veritas, you know, you fucked up by saying the wrong thing at the wrong time, but it wasn't like that wasn't something you would say. It was just inappropriate in the moment, you know, and sometimes it's a time and place thing. And sometimes it's a who's the audience thing. And sometimes it's a who are you talking to thing. And 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 when those, you know, inhibitions come down with the influence of copious amounts of alcohol, your time and place meter might be a little off. And that's certainly been the case a, a number of times in my professional history. And that generally involves a whole lot of, yeah, sorry, I kind of fucked that up. Um, wrong time, wrong place. And I will certainly keep in mind to try and avoid doing that in the future. Now, fortunately, my drunk brain does keep track of like, hmm, these were things that happened in the past. Try not to do that again. So I have that going for me. but. Yeah, I've I've had plenty of happy hours that had an apology attached to them afterwards. <laughs> I love that. I love the idea of a happy hour that has a, an apology attached to it. Anybody else got some stepping in it stories? Kaplan, go for it. Yeah, I am uh, acutely aware of the taste of my own foot. It tastes like regret and um, sorrow and and lost gains, lost money. So. Um, I do a good job of holding back what I want to say these days just because I've been burned so many times by being immature and irresponsible. And going through those those pains, you learn what to say and what not to say. And at the end of the day, as long as you change and you keep some of your core relationships and they see that you changed and they see that you've become more professional, they want to continue working with you. So it's about what you do in the now rather than focusing on what you did in the past. Yeah, I agree. Shay, how about you? Well, the thing is, 
I worked in the restaurant industry for about 10 years. <laughs> so that is essentially like, hey, we're off shift. Let's go drink. Now, granted, like I wasn't a big drinker, but I did work at one place where literally it was right after the shift, the next two to three hours, even though it was like super late in the morning to like four in the morning, they're drinking and the stories are flying and things are happening that shouldn't be happening amongst coworkers. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's one of those things where you got to keep, keep track of who you're actually talking to. Because sometimes if it's a, a social event, like, hey, let's have a birthday party for somebody. And now we're, we're off premises, but everybody's drinking and the boss is doing inappropriate jokes. And like, wait a second, how do you want the same respect when we get back to work, when you were just sloppy as hell over here. <laughs> so yeah, it, it's, it's been some interesting things. Yeah, I uh, my, my husband put himself through college working in restaurants, met his best friend working at the, the old, so anyone who's from the Tampa Bay area, the old Columbia that was at the old pier. And uh, so all of their stories, when the two of them get together, start with, we were so drunk. <laughs> And so I just equate that now with like after hours restaurant work. <laughs> Honestly, in the, the restaurant space is is the absolute like that. I was raised in that space as well. And you are not well trained to be a professional if you come up in that space because there are no professional rules. It's all shit talking, flirting, bullshit, like, you know, things that would totally get you like fired by HR in a corporate environment are the every day in a restaurant space. You know, I got a quick story. I was in the restaurant whirlwind for years. I've worked at Spice Market, Aquavit, some really high-end restaurants. And most of the restaurants I work at, pretty wild. And, but then I worked at Momofuku. And that was a completely different experience. It was all business. There was no play. Absolutely no play. And if you know David Chang and the way he was raised, it was like a military family. He brought that mentality to his restaurant and his restaurants are incredibly, incredibly successful, but everyone hated him. Everyone was fearing for their jobs all the time and they treated people like garbage. I hated that place, even though I was making 20% more than other people out in the restaurant industry. There's something to be said for, for cultivating a culture, right? And so, yeah, in those other restaurant environments where the lines may get blurred and we may say and do the wrong thing when we have had a couple of drinks too many, but everybody's doing that. And there's, there's a culture of forgiveness, I think, up into a certain point, which, which is missing from some of those environments like the one you mentioned, Kaplan. So trying to find the, the happy place in between those two, I don't know the answer, and I'm sure it varies from industry to industry. Kathleen, how about you? Yeah, I don't remember the specifics, but I do remember the feeling of just my, my stomach dropping down, like, ugh, where I'll talk before I think something through, especially if I'm in that sort of a, you're in a networking situation where you've had a couple of drinks. And so I'll start telling a story or talking about something. I, I, I tend to throw my opinions out there a little bit and I'll get halfway through a story and realize, like, my mind is finally catching up where I realize the context and the person I'm talking to are in conflict. So if, yeah, exactly. So it'll be, oh, you know, if you look at it from their perspective, they now think I'm talking about them and shit talking them. Or they're, if you look at it from the wrong perspective, 
I'm now throwing harsh judgment on this thing they actually did in their life five years ago because I was a friend with them then. That sort of thing. So I get halfway through and I go, you know, this drop inside. And then I like pause for a second and try to take a hard right turn. <laughs> like, and this is what I was actually going at the whole time. That's not, you know, the, this was my point that wasn't there. I wasn't going where you thought I was. Never. No, no. Yeah. That feeling and when you tell a joke and no one laughs. Yes. It's not a skillful transition. Hopefully those people are still in my life to some extent. So it doesn't seem to have done so much harm, but man, that internal feeling about that drop, it's like the elevator falling through your heart. <laughs> Oops. Yikes. So even that, you know, there's a reason I'm the designated driver of these happy hours because Robin's a teetotaler. <laughs> Don't drink, never have found out in a very traumatic moment that I'm allergic to alcohol. So yeah, now definitely uh, aren't drinking. Anytime that I've stepped in it or stuck my foot in it, it's usually due to overtiredness. And so, so like, and only where I've sort of damaged the relationship with coworkers or employees to the point that I had to work a little extra harder to get back on even footing. So the best example I can think of is back in my retail management days, I worked for this one store in particular, which I won't name by name, but it's where you buy all your glitter makeup and band t-shirts and bat-shaped earrings. And um, <laughs> and inventory at that place was hell. I mean, hell. You bring in these companies to help with inventory, but yet you still have all your employees there doing it. And you can only incentivize them with so much pizza. And um, inventory at this place was going till three, four in the morning because we would sell things like, this was the 90s. So we would sell things like those little butterfly clips and you'd have a bucket of literally thousands of butterfly clips and it had to be counted, you know? So it's literally someone's job to sit on the floor and count thousands of fucking butterfly clips. So it was miserable, miserable, miserable. So if I had been up since six in the morning and now we're going on four, the only fuel I lived on pretzel nuggets and surge soda back in my mall management days. So if all I've had to eat is like pretzel nuggets, pizza and soda, and we're coming on four in the morning and we still got like hundreds of items to count, like I have snapped. <laughs> I have snapped. And if you've met me, I, you can't imagine me snapping, but, but that person does exist. The moments are rare. And it's, it's quite shocking because I'm like the most jovial person in the world until I hit that line. And uh, yeah, so I, I've spent some post inventory days going like, I'm really, I don't entirely remember what I said, but I do remember the look on your face and I'm terribly sorry. And please understand that it was not about you. It was about the situation that we were all in, you know, and I, I hope you can forgive me and continue to work here at the store with me, you know? <laughs> Because it was it was not fun. Um, <laughs> I was not fun at four o'clock in the morning at the very last bit of inventory, and somebody's like, "Oh, we forgot to count this bucket." Good, good, you know, <laughs> just ready to like murder someone. Good lord, I'm having like anxiety just recounting that memory, you guys. Yeah, Kathleen, I'm over here going, "How horrible that they made you count this!" Like. Like, do inventory by weight on that kind of item. Like, don't count a thousand things that cost a half of a cent. It's such a waste of time. Yeah, there were 10 cents. Math grains represent. I mean, 
Each individual unit weighs X. The bucket weighs Y. Divide the two, get you Z. That's your count. Right. Do you it's think that up. they provided all of their stores a method with which to count it by weight? No. No. Everything, if it couldn't be scanned by a barcode, which is what the company did. And so that's why employees were there to begin with. The inventory company can only scan things by barcode. All they can do is follow orders. They have a chart that says what your store should have. Here's everything that has a barcode. We'll go around with our little things and we'll scan it. We'll let you know if there's a discrepancy, you know? That's it. That's the extent of their job. So then the rest of us are stuck going, where's this? What's that? This doesn't have a barcode. How do we count it by hand? Blah, blah, blah. Oh my God, it was a nightmare. And, and obviously still I've been harboring that. So thank you for letting me get that off my chest, guys. <laughs> let's, uh, let's move into something that I hope will be a bit more positive and non-anxiety ridden and maybe could help alleviate some anxiety for, for folks listening. 2020 was fucking weird. And by the time this episode is released, we'll be a couple of months into 2021. There may still be some people who are trying to get their ducks in a row and figure out the best way forward for 2021. And we have some things moving in a positive direction. Some things are starting to open back up again and starting to happen again. Um, I'm also seeing an uptick because I think even for industries where like I, I work in a lot of events and conventions and stuff, and those things aren't happening in person, but the people who run that are now figuring out like, well, we have to find some way to do this. And so there's some innovation and some activity happening in that space where people are moving things to online platforms. So like, I've noticed that things are kind of upticking again. And I'm in a headspace where I'm trying to figure out how to make the best of my 2021. And so I thought it would be good for us to just talk about like, what are some ways that you're thinking and planning and getting yourself ready to make what you can, even in the face of a lot of unknown variables, how are you planning to make the best out of 2021. Jinx, go for it. Well, every couple of years when Bitcoin has some crazy huge run-up in price due to a number of market factors and uh, that sort of thing, uh, lots and lots of people start asking me questions about Bitcoin and crypto and all the rest of that. So I've been running a group for a while, private group that just is a crypto boot camp. That's literally the name of the group that like you know, talks about trading and all the rest of that. And uh, Kaplan's actually joined that recently as well. And we've been running this for about four years now, but I'm in a place where the biggest difference between now and four years ago was back then I was just taking whatever cash I could come up with and throwing it at this crazy coin that I was hoping was going to do well. Whereas now I've worked with a number of crypto projects. I'm spread out in support across a, a pretty broad spectrum of, of altcoins and things along that line, just following what they do and seeing like their proposed technology. And one of the companies that uh, I've been working with for a while, Pocket, is like really hitting their stride now in the space. And so part of 2021 is sort of marrying that audience that I've been building in the crypto space to this particular product, which is a decentralized infrastructure. If you know what that is, then you know what that is. And if not, then literally forget. I'm not going to explain it. It's not important to you. You know, but like marrying those groups and finding the connections between those groups to like build business up in that particular space. And I'm really excited about it because cryptocurrency is an interesting thing for people who are trading. But I'm a big believer in blockchain, which is the technology behind it, both from a distributed data perspective and from a distributed infrastructure perspective. 
I think that there's a whole lot to look at in the future of, of like decentralized applications and decentralized data stores that solve some real problems we have today. Like um, knowing at 7.01 p.m. who the new president is because it's all happening on a blockchain application where the data is updated in real time and it's immutable and non-transferable and absolutely identifiable back to an individual voter. And there's just no question. The idea of election fraud disappears because it couldn't possibly happen, you know? So for me, like looking at the future, looking at 2021 in particular, a lot of my other business stuff is, you know, either starting to recover from the downturn of 2020 or in, at least in some way stable and there's some sort of a plan for the future. But when it comes to like really crazy, chaotic new growth and exploring new ideas, focusing on, on blockchain in particular is uh, my 2021 plan. Love it. Love it. I know a sliver about blockchain and I find it fascinating. So I rely on people like you and my network. <laughs> to keep me up to speed. Kaplan, I'm coming at you next. What are some of the things you're doing to, to take advantage and make the most of 2021? I'm on the same wavelength as, uh, as Jinx here. I think decentralization and decentralized platforms are going to be the way forward. I'm quite pessimistic about the future. This K-shaped recovery we're going through, where Wall Street is going up, Main Street's going down, we have not experienced the full force of this catastrophe. Too many small businesses have, have gone out of business, and I just don't have the greatest outlook on things going forward. However, I think uh, decentralization can help solve some of these problems. If you look at the whole thing with GameStop and Robinhood halting trading with a decentralized trading platform, that just can't happen. But I think we're still pretty far from that. The big hurdles of adopting cryptocurrency, there are two too great at the moment. I think there's too many boomers and older people out there. Not all of them, of course, but too many people out there that are just not technically savvy enough to use cryptocurrency effectively. So I think the first person, their group or conglomerate or whoever it is, figures out how to seamlessly integrate cryptocurrency into their platform and somehow take off on that platform, kind of like WeChat Pay. That literally took off overnight. If you look at how the Chinese economy literally switched to WeChat Pay, I always forget if it's WeChat, WeChat, it's WeChat Pay, yes. They, the regulatory agencies in China had no idea that this was going to explode overnight. And it wasn't even on their radar. And then the whole economy basically switched over to this platform and everyone was using it to stop it or regulate it would have collapsed their economy. So now it's just this thing that's integrated into their society. And I find that if something like that happens here with cryptocurrency, you know, game over. Everyone who is not a fintech nerd was like, never let Jinx and Kaplan on the happy hour ever again. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe they'll absorb something by osmosis. You know, if nothing else, they've written down some words and they're going to go look them up. And, uh, and, and, you know, who knows, maybe you just, or there's probably a significant number of people who are like, yes, why isn't anybody else talking about this? Shout out to our FinTech nerds. <laughs> Kathleen, I'm coming to you next. I'm going to swing this in the completely opposite direction. <laughs> so for me, I measure the quality of my life and the value of my life by how much joy and happiness I experience. So I'm looking at 2021 as an opportunity to 
double down on that. In 2020, I had a lot of uh, time to really grow and enhance my own self-care. And I had a lot of growth uh, momentum for myself internally that increased my, my level of joy. And for me, that's a huge win. So I, I see 2021 as an opportunity to continue in that direction. And it's been profound. And I think it's sustainable, which I'm really excited about. But also uh, taking that energy that comes from that opening, I've been able to take some steps into projects that I have thought about for years and never actually engaged in. So there's this sort of opening up of some creative projects that I have been putting on the back burner. And, you know, it's more like a, there's this opportunity of why not now that's happening for me. And it's really fun and exciting. And it's not this huge business opening necessarily, but it's a huge opening for me personally. And it's profound for me. And I'm really excited about what 2021 has to offer. Awesome. See, it's not all about blockchain, y'all. Sometimes it's just about finding your own joy. Shay. What about you? How are you getting ready for 2021? 2020 opened up the door, but 2021 is a great opportunity to create your own platform in many variety of ways, uh, whether it is by creating a group. And it's so easy to to see others who have created groups or little uh, areas for other, others to, to interact with you from years ago, before 2020 or whatever. But now, since we're in such a flux in terms of what people want to 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 learn, what people believe, this is a great opportunity for you to, to decide, hey, this is what I believe and express that to the world and create forums for others to join you in that in that thought process. So for me, it's really like this year is really about being a catalyst for thought leadership in business development. Like really, I, I think I've mentioned over and over the idea of taking people from solopreneur and entrepreneur to a, a, a stronger business owner mindset, that's really my whole push for at least the first six months of this year, whether it's through me and my own organization. I took on ownership of a of network organization last year, middle of the year, and now I have the opportunity to totally innovate how we do things. So that's the other part of it too. I love that, Shay. And, and truly, if 2020 showed us nothing else, it showed us that the playing field has been leveled. The particular example I love to show people all the time is think about all the television shows that suddenly had to close down their studios and figure out how to do it from home. And the first couple of weeks of some of these shows doing it from home, they sucked. They sucked. Like you take away the studio, you take away their production team, you know, you take away the sound guy and the graphics guy. And suddenly these guys are no better than you and I. And the hot ones who is just as great remote, by the way, Sean Evans, you rock. Well, yeah. And so I think those of us who've been for the last two, three years figuring out how to make Zoom look like TV and figuring out how to make the best of what we got, like we were actually in a better position to get messages out than these professionals who were suddenly like in a DIY space and they had no idea how to DIY. So that for me was a huge wake up call of like, oh, the only difference between me and them is they have a production team behind them. That's it, right? So that uh, lightning moment, that light bulb of realization combined with, you know, uh, for me, 2020 was, there was a lot of shifts. 
There was a lot of folks in my family and in my, you know, chosen family um, and in my circle of influence that that were going through some shifts, which which made me have to go through some shifts. And so with business being what it was, watching all these people go through all these major changes in their life while I was also going through some of my own and also it forced me to reevaluate some of the stories I told myself about how my business works and what I can and cannot do. And so I've realized, oh, there's a lot more that I could do. And the only reason I haven't done it is because I convinced myself that some bullshit thing, you know, my hormonal brain told me was correct when it wasn't. So, (laughs) so I'm looking forward to executing on some of the realizations. And so a lot of the work that I'm doing right now is laying the groundwork and clearing the space to allow these things to come forth. And, and, and so much of that is about helping people and getting information into the hands of the people who need it. And to have a platform like this that we've cultivated here with Unfuck My Business, that's something I'm tremendously proud of. And I know you all are as well. So, so folks, if you're, you know, I don't know when this episode is going to drop, but if it's February, if it's March, if it's April, when you're hearing this and you still have no idea what the fuck you're going to do for 2021, that is okay. You still have plenty of time. You can figure out 2021 November. You can figure out 2021 and 2022, man. Like just keep looking and keep moving forward and reach out to your community. And um, clearly, if you need help with blockchain, <laughs> If you need help for stepping into the CEO role of your business, if you need help finding your joy, we got you. Come talk to us over in the UFMB community on Facebook. We have a lot of fun over there, um, but we also get a lot of shit done. And so if you need to surround yourself with people who are going to help you get shit done, we are definitely those people. So come hang out with us over on Facebook. Um, And if you have any questions or Uh, if you have questions you want us to answer on the next happy hour, please, please, please. We would love to answer your ridiculous, poignant, deep, and introspective questions. You can send them to WTF at unfuckmybusiness.com. Cheers, everybody. fuck you still doing here i know what i'm doing here i'm the motherfucking editor all right but you know since you're still around why don't you take what you learned and maybe do something with it you know all those links and resources that we talked about in the show they're in the show notes go find them fucker go to unfuckmybusiness.com to subscribe to the show